a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're going to talk about how diversity, equity, and inclusion could affect my bottom line. Joining me today is Paul Skeen. He is an audit partner at Ide Bailey. And we also have Susan Spears, who is the CEO of Utah Association of Certified Public Accountants. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Paul, I also know that you are currently the co-chair of Ide Bailey's Nationwide DEI Council, and DEI stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. So, first of all, I think most of us know what diversity means. You know, having men and women, people of color, sexual orientation all within a, a workplace or even your own little community where you live. But what's the difference between equity and inclusion? Okay. Yeah. I think, you know, backing up to the diversity thing, one of the things that we've focused on a lot as a firm as we are kind of taking this journey and educating ourselves is there, there are those obvious matters of, of diversity that we all think of. And we use an iceberg model. Those are the things that are visual and that you see, but there are so many things, backgrounds, experiences, uh, relate that you can't see. You, you don't know someone's religious preference or their, military experience or so many other things. And so diversity is really a, an, an energizing and exciting topic in and of itself. But as we focus on inclusion and equity, I think it's important to remember that inclusion is creating an environment where all of those differences, whether seen or unseen, are embraced and celebrated, uh, that, that regardless of someone's background, they can feel comfortable as a part of your um, organization or community or group, whatever we may be talking about. Uh, equity is a little more tricky. And I'm, I'm going to steal a line. We had our UACPA Leadership Council last week for the State Association of uh, Certified Public Accountants. And we had a national speaker there, Kimberly Ellison Taylor, who is, if she's in very high heels, she might make it to 5'3". Um, and she, she used the example of if she and one of our members who is six foot eight both went to a baseball game, uh, she might need two crates to stand on. Clark, who's six foot eight, doesn't need any crates. And so equity would be meaning giving Kimberly the same opportunity to see the baseball game as Clark. Doesn't mean that they both get two crates. So equity and, and equal are not necessarily the same. But it's ensuring that there's fair treatment, uh, that there's, that everyone has the same access to opportunities, uh, that there's the, there's fairness in what information all parties are pro uh, provided and what resources, uh, people receive to, to train and to, uh, advance their careers or their positions within that group. So then what does inclusion mean? Inclusion means creating an environment where everyone feels comfortable. 
and they could be their true authentic self and no no trait that they have would cause them to be held back. So you could have diversity in a workplace or within your community, but you may not be including these people who are actually there. That is hitting the nail right on the head. And that that is, as we started our journey, we, we moved from an initiative that we that we called First Focus, that focused on removing barriers for women to become partners within our firm. Uh, that started in 2010, and then in 2018, we realized that we were missing, we had great success with that program, but we were missing a lot of other aspects of diversity. We were focused on gender diversity. So as we started to break down things that there may be a person of color at our firm, we have someone that would qualify as a diverse candidate, but they may feel like an absolute outsider. And so as we started this journey on focusing on all aspects of diversity to the extent that an organization can, we've tried to start with inclusion, making sure that people feel included. Because if, if, if you launched a campaign to hire only diverse candidates and they came and they felt like outsiders, they're not going to stay. And to us as a firm, diversity is an outcome, not necessarily an input. Inclusion creates a place where we can hire someone that may not have the same background or experiences that I do, and they feel like the opportunities for them are just as strong as the opportunities for me or anyone else. What do you say to the people who might say, fine, you're just only looking for non-white male? Isn't that yeah. a form of exclusion? Absolutely a valid point. Candidly, that's probably part of why they're one of the co-chairs of our <laughs> our initiative is a middle-aged white male accountant. Like, I, there's not an ounce of diversity in, in my blood other than I served in the military, perhaps. But that becomes a concern. But as we've gone through our journey, we've never made quotas. We, we, our goal and our mission is to create a, a workforce that's reflective of our communities. Some of our communities are very homogenous in most ways. Uh, so we're not looking to have quotas or anything else, but create equal um, opportunities for success at I Bailey. You said that you started this gender inclusion program in 2010. Do you have the numbers of how many partners that you had before 2010 that were women, and by 2018, how many you had at that point? I actually do have that. So in 2008, before we started this initiative, 21% of our senior managers were female. And in 2013, 39% of our senior managers were female. And then uh, the last time we've measured it was through uh, 2021, or at least the information that I have. And 48% of our senior managers uh, were female. Now, uh, the hope is that those senior managers then are given an opportunity to become partners. And so on those same timelines, in 2008, 19% of our partners were women. That went to 26% in 2013 and then 32% in 2021. So th there's obviously still some work to do there. But we, we feel like we're starting to break down barriers that have existed, whether we understood were they intentional or unconscious 
barriers that existed, we feel like we're starting to break those down. And how has that helped the revenue at Ide Bailey? <laughs> Going back to the story of Ide Bailey, we merged our local firm, Salt Lake City local firm, into Ide Bailey in 2013. In that time, from 2013 to 2020, uh, the firm doubled in revenues, uh, which is, is pretty substantial. We went from being a 200 or so million dollar firm this last year, we were over 500 million dollars in, in revenues. Pretty substantial growth, and there are a lot of factors that go into that, but certainly our, our ability to tap into the, the very talented women at Ide Bailey and create equal opportunities for them has, has accelerated that growth. Susan, as a female accountant, how have you seen this environment change throughout your career? And do you see companies that include women making more money in the long run than those that don't? Well, I, I think that when I started in the profession, I mean, it's been a long time. There were not a lot of females in the CPA profession. And as I've grown, I mean, I, of course, worked in public accounting for almost 30 years before coming here. The, the demand is up. Our, our clientele, if you will, our businesses love female CPAs. They, they like that diversity. And, and if you think about it from a revenue standpoint, if you can put some diverse people on top of challenges that an organization may be having, those diverse backgrounds lend to stronger decisions than if you put a group full of like individuals into the pot. So, I mean, we could have conversations as far as board development, C-suite level people and everything, because the more of a diverse background you can get, the better problem-solving capabilities you have. This is a good time to take a break because when we come back, I actually want to delve into that just a little bit more, Susan, that you touched on. So we'll be right back with Paul Skeen. He is an audit partner with Ide Bailey and Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that if it affects your life in any way money-wise, we're talking about it. Today, we're talking about how diversity, equity, and inclusion can affect your bottom line. Now, most of the time, we think about this in companies and corporations, but it could be your neighborhood as well, just your own personal community. Joining me today in the discussion is Susan Spears. She is the CEO of Utah Association of CPAs, and also Paul Skeen, who is the co-chair of Ide Bailey's DEI Council, which is Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council. Susan, when the last segment we left off, just as you said, in your profession, you've seen a lot more women in there and you felt it was important to have not just women, but people of diversity talk to clients. So I wanted to go more in depth about that as to why that is important. I would think an example given is if I'm a Latino female and I walk in to a CPA or any other type of company and the only people I can talk to are white men, just don't think we're going to be on the same wavelength. 
I would agree with you there. There's so many things coming into play there. We want to work with people like us. And if you look at things from a corporate or even we could even take it to a neighborhood standpoint, but let's, let's look at it corporately. Our human capital, our employees are our biggest asset. And so Paul talked a minute ago about the, the inclusion piece of this. If I'm the only Latino worker working in an organization, and I'm not comfortable there, if that culture doesn't meet my needs, I'm not going to stay there long. I'm going to go seek another place out where I can feel comfortable and feel like that I can contribute. So let's take that down to to the revenue or the net income model. That turnover costs organizations money. You know, there there's a true cost to the turnover that we that we see in this. And more and more people people are going to work for that culture. Money is certainly important, but the culture and feeling like they're a part of something bigger and that they're contributing is important for their own well-being. So we really have to dive into what's underneath the iceberg, as was spoken to earlier. For me, it was interesting when I had my own practice. I mean, I did a lot of construction and real estate. But as a female, working with those general contractors, and oftentimes I would meet them on a job site, I could go through the infrastructure and say, how can you guys do this? And then hit it from a female standpoint. You know, why don't we drop the cupboards two inches or the handles so that I can reach up and open the doors? Or if you go back to how GM um, engineered vehicles, if you go into some of their cars, and you look at how the windows roll up and down the electronic windows, they're curved underneath. The reason for that is because many women have long fingernails. So it's that diversity that came into that workforce that was able to provide some different insights. And that's why it continues to be important today. Paul, one conversation I have had, especially in the finance realm, is uh-huh. as a woman, sometimes when I talk to a financial advisor, and I have a question about something, they go, oh, just do this, 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 it'll get you that. I don't necessarily want to be told like what to do. I'm trying to learn if I do something, how that actually affects whatever investment I'm talking about. I'm just trying to get information. I may not be ready to actually invest in it yet. But in our culture, men, a lot of times are just taught, you're there to just fix it. There's a problem, just fix it. And women are kind of geared more toward, I want to learn it. I want to understand it fully before I actually invest in whatever it is, not just money, but just investing in an organization or time or volunteering or whatever. It's more an overall need. So how do you see that developing as you do this diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question. And this kind of goes to one of our core aspects of customer service, not necessarily our DEI approach, but we focus hard on making sure that our customers feel understood, that, that they know that we are getting to know them to the point where we understand what they want, what they need. Uh, we don't want to just provide them a canned solution that fits for everyone. We want to really get to know them. And as, as that comes back into the DEI realm, it's very hard for me to truly understand someone with completely different experiences than me. So the more people I surround myself with, with different ideas, different life experiences, 
different problem-solving approaches, the better I'm going to be to take care of my clients. How does that also affect ideas that employees can bring to the corporation? Uh, an example I'll give is, is we've just gone through, we do this annually. Uh, I, I sit on Ike Bailey's board of directors right now as well. And so we, we did a, a deep dive into the benefits that we're providing our employees right now. And one of the big areas that we focused on was maternity and paternity leave and how, how we tackle that and, and what we do for individuals. The, the six person board to our women who have both had children, their ideas on this topic were more critical to coming to a good decision than mine. I have four kids of my own. Uh, my wife is a trooper. But the idea of, of a white man coming to the best decision on how uh, much time a, a new mother would need uh, with her children to, to really have an effective bonding time and a, a physical recovery, I couldn't make that decision. Uh, so thankfully, two of our six board members are women who have had children, and they could speak to the challenges that they face, not only in birthing the child, but in coming back to work. They're both very successful partners within our firm. And that perspective was one that was absolutely critical to coming to good decisions on how we approach this with, with our staff coming up through the ranks. So if I am a white male, or even a white female, and I'm just one of the workers in a company, why would I personally want to have diversity around me if I've never had it in my personal life? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question. I, I'm a terrible one to ask on that because I am excited by learning and, and ex experiencing new things. I'll use the people are wired different. I love to learn about new things. It's evidenced in the way I approach restaurants. I'll go to places I've never heard a thing about and order whatever the the uh, server tells me their favorite thing is just to try something new. And that doesn't always work out, but I learn a lot and I experience a lot. It's maybe a little bit of a rough analogy, but I think experiencing different cultures, different life experiences, different ways of thinking about it helps round you out as an individual. It helps you make better decisions for yourself and for others as, as leaders of organizations. The more you know about the people that you work with now and the people that could potentially come work for you, the better you're going to be able to create a, a situation that, that they can succeed in. Susan, have you found that if companies do bring on either people of color or, as Paul talked about, people coming from a military background, do the companies make more money and then that in turn, potentially they give bigger raises to employees? Because that would be a big motivator for me. I'd be like, oh, okay, if this is going to help make me more money in the long run, sure, bring on these different people that I've never really been around before. You know, we're starting to see research come out to that is speaking to that. Harvard Business has done some research. I mean, here even in the state of Utah, we're starting to see some research where it is coming out that a more inclusive, more equitable, more diverse workforce is bringing more money to the bottom line because you do get those different thoughts and those different ideas. To be able to be in a room where not everybody thinks the same as myself, 
for me is exhilarating those ideas of why don't you try this rather than that in our organization that worked before, or if you're looking at things culturally, again, go back to understanding those needs of those individuals. If we can be inclusive and engage them within the processes of the organization, they, they have a lot to offer. And oftentimes they don't know how to do that. But if we can create that environment where everybody has say, if you will, or everybody's ideas are respected, we will continue to see the bottom line grow. And in, in today's environment, that's becoming more and more important as we're seeing dollars squeezed with inflation and other things. It goes back to that human capital element. We, we have to look at that. We have to start valuing our employees for more than just putting widgets together. Maybe I can just insert one thing, thought I have there as well. As an economy, we're coming out of this great resignation. I don't know many organizations, regardless of industry, that have enough people. And if they do, I want to talk to them to figure out what they're doing different than the rest of us. Because without fail, as I talk to my clients in different industries, everyone is short-staffed. As a business and advisory firm, we're short-staffed. If I were to tell my staff, we're automatically eliminating two-thirds of the population of potential candidates because we don't have an environment where they feel comfortable. That's damaging to the future of our firm. And so, again, eliminating things within our culture that would make people feel uncomfortable or unwelcome opens up our hiring pool significantly. Not that that's the only reason to do it, but if you want to talk about bottom line, if you can't take care of clients, they're going somewhere else. And having as wide a, a recruiting pool or acquisition pool as possible absolutely drives bottom line results. You actually have led into what my next question is, but we need to take a break. So when we come back, I want to go into how do you start becoming inclusive if you've never had to do it before? So we'll be right back with Paul Skeen. He is the audit partner with Ide Bailey and Susan Spears, CEO of UACPA. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's DEI, and how that affects your bottom line, not just as a company, but also in your personal life, how having the diversity can help you. Joining me today is Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA, and also Paul Skeen. Not only are you an audit partner at Ide Bailey, but Paul, you are the co-chair of the National DEI Council. I wanted to go more into how do we change our culture? If I'm at a place where we haven't been inclusive, where there may be the token black man or the one military person that, oh yeah, I should hire that person, but they don't feel included in my environment, how do I change that? How do we start changing how we feel. Yeah, I think the the key word that you said there is begin. Like it, it's it's a tough process and to me it's a never ending journey. It, it's something that, that you've got to work on, you've got to struggle with. We shifted our our uh, intentions around removing barriers for, for women to a total approach to creating an inclusive culture in, in two thousand eighteen. And very grateful as a firm that we did that prior to 
some of the really hard things that happened in 2020 that caused a lot of commotion and disruption and emotion. So we, we were starting the journey, but we're four years into this now, focusing on on the DEI space as a total space. And I just feel like this last year, we're finally starting. Like we've finally got momentum. We've finally put some things into place that, that will impact the lives of our employees and and the, and the customers and clients that we serve. Uh, and so it's a journey. I think if, if I were starting from scratch, I would take a real hard look at myself, listen to podcasts. I would read books. I would watch movies and be honest with yourself and, and ask yourself some hard questions and ask your organization some hard questions. But education is where it starts. And having a very open mind and, and being willing to learn and to change is absolutely critical critical in starting the journey. First of all, you said be open-minded. And I think if you're not, I'm not going to just open up the brain cells there. But before before yep. you get to that, what were some of the barriers that your company identified and then removed for women? Access to information. I'm going to steal a line from one of our UACPA members, who's the she's the managing partner of one of the firms in Utah County. This is Janice Bullock. She came up through the ranks within their firm. She didn't golf, and a lot of the other the the then managing partner golf. So these other golfing rising stars had more access to opportunities and information by golfing with the managing partner than she had. And so we had to take a hard look at that. What access do men typically have to information that women aren't having? A big part of the journey for us has just been educating ourselves on unconscious bias. I am a firm believer that the vast majority of us are really, really good people, but we all have biases. And to, to deny that or to say that we don't is foolish. We all have biases. That doesn't make us bad. It doesn't make us racist. It doesn't make us sexist. It just means that we have come to our place in life and decision making and other things based on our experiences. And if those experiences have led us to make decisions about others in ways that are not necessarily healthy or fully productive, let's step back and take a look at those. And that helps a lot. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I see, especially in my work environment, is most of the people I work with, they would never think that they are racist at all. But because they've also only worked with white people, they occasionally say something that is insulting, but they don't realize it because they've never been around other people to recognize that that could be taken the wrong way. Absolutely. But they probably think, oh, I give money to all these causes. I just never have to see them and probably don't realize some of the things they say is very offensive. Well, and I think that's where the education point comes in with the events of, of 2020. Um, there, there are some great resources that, that really broke down barriers. One of my favorite books is Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man by Emmanuel Acho. Following uh, the George Floyd incident event, he he really put his heart out there in giving people the opportunity to ask questions that they maybe didn't feel comfortable asking before and maybe still don't feel comfortable asking, but he answered them. And I think being willing to have those conversations 
is so rewarding in understanding where someone comes from, that their experience is so much different than mine. And that's across the whole spectrum of diversity. I firmly believe we all have a whole lot more in common than we have different. And as, as we have those discussions and we come to understand each other, we're better as individuals and we're better as organizations. And Susan, I know your organization, UACPA, is starting the whole diversity and equity and inclusion program as well. Are you going to have a bunch of different types of people by next year? Well, we're, we're fairly small, but one, but we keep that in mind as we hire. One of our goals is we sat down as a board and weave this initiative with into our strategic plan is we want our members, our CPA members, to be thinking about this as they lead their own organizations. One of the things that we learned early on was a lot of our, a lot of our members or a lot of people just purely are not aware. I mean, I, I think often we hear, well, we don't discriminate against anyone or we're inclusive and everything. But as you start having some of those deep down conversations, it's been kind of cool to see some aha moments come through like, I really shouldn't be saying that, or I never knew. I thought that I was really trying to hire some good, diverse people, but I really wasn't providing them the culture they needed so that they could thrive within our organizations. So one of the things that we're doing is we're we're really striving to help our members understand this. You know, Paul mentioned that we just had a leadership council, and one of the assignments to our members of that leadership council was to either read The Blind Spot, which is, it's a book really about kind of unconscious biases and some of the biases that we hold, or to watch the movie Remember the Titans, keeping in mind this DEI initiative. And we had some fabulous discussion because people watched the movie with a different lens. And I I think that even as individuals, I would say, you know what, go watch the movie and really do an internal evaluation as to where you are. But also, we need to learn to meet people where they are as they go down their own journey, because there's a lot that we don't know. Yeah, I was running a traffic department 12, 15 years ago and wasn't in charge of hiring for it, but I did do all the interviews, and then I sent the best candidates to our general manager of the radio station. And I had one woman who had a great voice. She did really well doing all the traffic and thought she would be a really good addition to the team. All I did was send her tape and her name to the general manager, but her name was Taniqua, which is somewhat familiar in an African-American society. And he refused to let me hire her even though she was the best candidate voice-wise. And at the time, I just could not understand it. I just didn't get it until the last few years when we've been talking about diversity and equity and inclusion and those unconscious biases that we have. And this one may not have been unconscious on his part, but he just wasn't going to hire anybody named Taniqua. Yeah, it's, it's pretty startling. A lot of organizations have gone to eliminating the names from resumes for that reason. You just don't see it because very few people would say, I discriminate based on whatever, but there is that unconscious bias. I would also, having been a hiring manager for several organizations throughout my career, especially here in Utah, it's a really big thing to list on a resume when you talk about service organizations. And a lot of people will list 
served a mission with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And one company I worked for, the boss was Jewish. And anytime we saw, had a resume that came in with that on there, it went into the circular file faster than you could blink. So you really, even as a, as a prospective employee, don't want to put any red flags out there for anybody else who may have some type of bias who's trying to hire you. My two cents. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else from Susan or Paul that we need? Well, there's a lot. This is a huge, big topic and one that we can't really cover everything within just one episode. But is there any other hot topics that we need to hit really quickly on this subject? No, I I think we've covered a lot of ground. Like you said, we could uh, spend a lot of time talking about all the nuances of this, and I, I think it's important for people just to really be self-reflective and, and start the journey. And in doing so, be respectful of others, re- recognizing that none of us are starting from the same place. Give each other grace and take the time to evaluate ourselves and, and help others around us. Yeah, I, I would say well, well said there. It, it starts with self. It starts with awareness. It starts with empathy, perhaps even forgiveness that um, we are all in a different spot. We can, we need to move forward. Every one of us has something to offer. And you know what? We do have a lot in common. So it's a great journey. Thank you so much to both my guests, Paul Skeen, who is an audit partner with Ide Bailey, and Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. Thanks, Heather. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.